Welcome to Bible Study for Progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. Welcome to the Truth and Democracy Coalition and Progressive Democrats of America, East LA, Los Angeles County, Democracy Activist Training, Our Democracy Story. We're working with the Declaration of American Democracy Coalition, Public Citizen, and Indivisible to bring you this training. My name's Rich Proceda. I'm the organizer of, Truth, of the Truth and Democracy Coalition. The purpose of this training is to organize and to develop our own authentic voice about why democracy is worth fighting for. We will teach you how to craft your own unique democracy story. We will briefly review the For the People Act and other necessary legislation, and Ellie and I will tell our stories. Then we will send you into breakout rooms to craft your own stories. We're gonna do two breakout rooms, actually. So I wanna thank all of you for being here to fight for democracy and defend the Constitution the way I see it. We have gathered among us people who see and understand the historical moment. And you are among a select group of activists who understand what's at stake. Failure could mean the end of democracy in America and around the world. Democracy is collapsing worldwide. So we must keep the beacon of democracy lit. Recently, over a hundred scholars of democracy issued a statement expressing deep concern over efforts to undermine core electoral procedures in response to the unproven and intentionally destructive allegations of a stolen election. These laws, experts say, have so transformed several states into political systems that no longer meet the minimum conditions for free and fair elections. Some laws even allow legislatures or partisan election officials to overturn the results of elections. Right-wing politicians have concluded that democracy is no longer in their interest. And we have a Supreme Court that cannot be relied upon to uphold our constitutional democracy. If these extremists take power, they will dismantle democracy and enact laws that ensure they remain in power indefinitely. So the For the People Act provides a lot, is a wide legislation, broad legislation that has common sense provisions to protect our democracy and to make sure that everyone has the right to vote. Um, some of these include prohibiting voter caging, which is they send people and then they, if they come back, non-deliverable, they purge them. And so they are, the act also restricts the practice of voter purging. There are provisions for voting access for people with disabilities. It restores voting rights to felons who um, complete their prison terms. Uh, protections for military and overseas voters. It mandates the use of paper ballots, which a lot of 
voter election protection activists call for. And the president and vice presidential candidates are required to publicly disclose their previous 10 years of tax returns. And it establishes a rule of ethics binding on the Supreme Court, the only court that doesn't have a set of rules for ethics. And it establishes national standards for elections. And if you've seen these arguments about states' rights, there's no states' rights involved here. This is federal oversight of federal elections. And the federal government has a compelling interest to make sure that elections are run fairly and transparently. In 2013, in the case of Shelby County v. Holder, the Supreme Court struck down portions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that required states, that act required states with a history of discrimination against minority voters to pre-clear certain changes to their voting laws with the federal government. So the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act would reinstate those requirements. The Senate is already an anti-majoritarian institution. It has each state gets two representatives regardless of their population. And that's why leaving nearly 700,000 American citizens unrepresented in the United States Senate is so atrocious. The act includes same day registration so that people won't be denied the right to vote just because they didn't register in time. Automatic voter registration so that if you go to the DMV or public government agency, you're automatically registered unless you opt out. Makes election day a national holiday. Authorizes 16 and 17 year olds to pre-register to vote uh, before they come 18. And this should be able to get more young people involved. And I believe we also need some type of citizen or voter education to prepare people for this very important responsibility. Um, it's thwarts gerrymandering by requiring states to use independent commissions to draw congressional districts. And there's some out there that independents are not considered, but they are part of the commissions. In fact, they contain five independents, five Republicans, and five Democrats. So independent parties are represented. And the problem with gerrymandering is that it creates these safe districts. And when you do that, you're promoting extremists because the politician doesn't have to answer to people who have different points of views. So you create a safe space, you're creating more extremist politicians. So it also contains provisions of the Disclose Act, and that requires advertisers to list who's funding the ads. Now, dark money can be used to fund ads and they don't have to reveal where that money comes from, but this law would change that. It has campaign provision, finance provisions. Uh, for every six donations, you get a matching fee for small donations and then our matching um, donation. So it expands opportunities to vote by mail, which really makes a lot of sense in the modern world. It was very successfully used and everyone should be able to vote. And so why not make it easy to vote? It makes election day a federal holiday. Oh, where am I at? Um, yeah, 
And the Supreme Court, oh yeah, sorry, going back. The Supreme Court has contributed to the decline of democracy. Uh, it has effectively handed our elections over to corporations and big money donors. And we can't have corporate funded elections and expect to have a representative democracy, despite the fact that every sane person and reasonable person in this country knows we need to reduce the influence of big money in politics, the Supreme Court has decided to go the other way. We must overturn Citizens United and the For the People Act takes a necessary step in that direction. The For the People Act establishes criminal penalties, penalties for persons who corruptly hinder, interfere with, or prevent another person from registering to vote or for voter deception or intimidation. So let's go over a quick history. The 15th Amendment, which was intended to prohibit racial discrimination in voting, was ratified in 1870. But after Reconstruction, blatantly racist voting laws throughout the South, backed by lynch mobs and domestic terrorism from the Ku Klux Klan, in effect continued the disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement of black voters. Then that went on until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, nearly a full century after the 15th Amendment. The Supreme Court in 2013 gutted this landmark legislation and took away that requirement for preclearance. I guess they thought racism was over or something. And during all those years, whenever a politician in Washington, D.C. would propose that the federal government step in, which the 15th Amendment explicitly gave Congress the power to do, such proposals were defeated, defeated by invoking states' rights. And by the way, they often involved abuse of the filibuster, which even though it originated by accident and isn't in the Constitution, was primarily exploited by Southern senators to block civil rights policies preferred by a majority of Americans. So our constitution may have been designed by and for white men, but that doesn't mean that it's designed to be used that way today. So that may be what they're trying to do, kind of, sort of. It's mostly for the rich and powerful who disseminate false propaganda to the masses for their own profit. In every instance in which fascism has come to power, they have spread propaganda that exacerbates racial and ethnic tensions, tensions in a strategy of divide and conquer. It doesn't take much to tap into that well in the United States. Now we are seeing the rise of laws designed to prevent people of color, students, working people, people with disabilities, and the poor from voting. And it's really, by now it's really more than 400 laws that have been proposed and put forward. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna put you into breakout rooms and I just want you to introduce yourself to one another. Why, why do you support democracy? Why do you believe in democracy? 
Why do you think we need to pass the For the People Act? What are you hoping to get out of this? And, and remember, we're going to use this. We're going to use this in the next breakout room to help you tell your story. So let me move people to breakout rooms. Okay, have we got everybody back? I think we have. Okay. All right. So tell you why we want to tell our stories and what's important about it is it helps us to become effective advocates. Uh, we know why we care. We can our, express ourselves effectively and efficiently. Uh, we can lead movements and handle the press and speak to other groups. Uh, we can and uh, we plan to do things with our stories here. And we're, we're going to talk about that after, a little later. And we, I also plan to organize and have other events in actions. Uh, so stay tuned. And the thing is, I believe we need a pro-democracy movement in America. I don't think we have one right now. And so I've decided that I would work to make it happen. I wasn't going to wait around for other groups to organize. I was going to be working for democracy. I've been working on it for quite a while now. So I formed the Truth and Democracy Coalition. And the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition, Public Citizen, and Indivisible, and other groups, Common Cause, they're all getting on board on this. And I'm very happy about that. And so that's a little bit of my story. Now, so the way to tell your story, okay? What ways are there to tell your story? Well, you know what? I've had these story, and I don't know if you've been on them before, these My Story trainings. I always hated them. I mean, this is not going to be one of those trainings that I hate. And the reason I hated them, because the stories were always so sad. And sometimes we don't have a sad story. And I don't think the stories need to be sad. They could be, they need to be emotional, powerful, inspiring, meaningful, thoughtful. Uh, but and sad, I'm not against sad. Sad is fine. Uh, you've, if you have a sad story, if you have a story like, let's take a look at this uh, slide here. Here's the um, what about sort of um, story. The person who works two jobs and has kids or elderly family to care for and can't vote on the during the week, has to have it on the weekends, and needs no excuse, absentee voting. Okay. And then they suggest maybe, you know, hire, buying somebody else's story. And if you're a writer and you want to tell somebody else's story, that's great. But this training is about our story, and I guarantee that you have a story. You have a powerful, meaningful story about why you're here, why you support democracy, why you get up in the morning, why you're willing to do this work. So that's what we're um, focusing on, uh, our story. And it doesn't have to be long. It can be simple, four, five, six points maybe that you can cover. Um, that you can remember and elaborate on. and But it does have to be personal. It has to be your democracy story. So think, questions you might ask, where do you come from? 
Why do you believe what you believe? Not just why do you believe democracy is important, but why do you believe that? What motivates you to do this work? And they talk about how people sometimes in this process have to be vulnerable. And the sad story, the story about tragedy and loss and, and denied rights and persecuted, they're kind of make someone vulnerable, but I might suggest that there's another form of vulnerability that you may see in my presentation, and it could be in yours, which is political vulnerability. Because when you're talking about yourself and what you believe and what you think is important and why that is, your upbringing, your faith, your where you grew up, your culture, how much are you really thinking about your audience? So we so often want to think, well, what was our audience? But we're really talking about us. And, and in that, our communities and the people that we know. And that's what makes it more powerful. So it's about you, not your audience. And you can see how that can lead to some political vulnerability. So what we're going to do now is Ellie's going to tell his story and then I'm going to tell my story, and then we're going to send you out into breakout rooms to work on your story. So next slide. And Ellie, if you would like, you can unmute. And Ellie is, I uh, will introduce Ellie. He's a friend of mine. He's a, a social justice activist. We met on the streets, and he's also an immigration attorney. And I think he's an immigrant from Israel. So go ahead, Ellie. Okay, thank you. Can you guys hear me well? Yes. Okay, wonderful. So let me just apologize in advance because I think I uh, I was going to write a paragraph or two, and then there was this stream of consciousness that just came out this morning. Uh, it's a little longer than than I would have liked it to be. So if I can apologize in advance. That said, it is still my story. So I was born in Israel to Jewish parents and immigrated to the United States at the age of 12 in 1996. My parents were weary of the wars in Israel, simply did not want us to die in some war over some intractable situation, not to mention prospectively kill someone else's child or brother or sister for an ideal that necessarily dispossessed other people. I recall witnessing this bicentennial uh, festivity that that occurred that year, 1976, Los Angeles Coliseum, like it was yesterday. I got to see Ivo Knievel perform his motorcycle stunts and Casey and the Sunshine electrify uh, the stage for us. It was really neat to celebrate a democracy's 200-year-old birthday. I came from an, an apartheid country that to one degree or another subjugates, suppresses, and systematically practices ethnic cleansing and even quasi-genocide, if not legal genocide, against Palestinians. Just so you'll have an idea, we are talking about, in aggregate, about 900 children in the Gaza Strip killed alone in the three last known recent flare-ups. That's all you need to know to happen to, to just be um, discussed. And but for the machinations of a hegemonic state, it is structurally strives with impunity and without regard to human cost, a Jewish majority in the land from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, this latter biblical prophecy of the Jews returning to the promised land right, runs so atavistically through the veins of Israel's core that even the most secular of Israelis have wholesale bought in, in, into this uh, notion in the most insidious and uh, self-sanctimonious of ways. 
So in Israel, we are socialized to treat Palestinians with suspicion, if not with outright hate. The Palestinian experience is virtually invisible in Israel, in Israeli textbook and in Israeli folklore. They are heard here and there, but they are not heard when it counts. Most live in the occupied territories, which as you guys know, are essentially open air prisons controlled in the air, sea, land, and electromagnetically by Israel's omnipresent military rule. So my parents inculcated in me a sense of having respect for all humans. Thankfully, I did not grow with hate in my heart. Both my parents fled the anti-Semitism of Nasser's pan-Africanist Egypt, which by the way, I, I can kind of understand was sort of a reaction formation to the colonial tethers of Britain at that time. And so my parents lived in absorption camps when they got to Israel and uh, until they found suitable habitations. And then once they were in Israel, they were discriminated against as so-called Schwarzes. Schwarzer in Yiddish means uh, like black, meaning they're black Jews and they were considered blemish because uh, even though there's, their complexion is as white as, as mine because they just happened to hail from North African host countries, uh, you know, like Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Egypt and the like. So they were discriminated against and the people that perpetrated the discrimination, although it has waned over the years, were the actual Eastern and Central European survivors and escapees of the Holocaust and previous programs that were doing this. So to me, without getting too academic or philosophical, democracy essentially means a system of governance that works hard to ensure equal rights for its constituents, a system that it should be perpetually held accountable to give everyone a meaningful voice in shaping the collective social, political, and economic contributions to the body, body politic. Naturally, capitalism transgresses against democracy's lauded virtues, putting the resourceful against the uh, resourceless. But I keep hoping, possibly exotically, that our legal infrastructure's long-term trajectory functions to curb capitalism corrosive tendencies and that some kind of economic pluralism can harmoniously interplay uh, with the state apparatus to achieve a, a resilient system that balances relatively um, fairly the capitalist compulsion to innovate with the interests of those vulnerable groups that the system tends to sideline, if not to exploit and trample on. So I'm not, who, I'm not sure who said it, but I think it was Churchill, who, by the way, <laughs> shamelessly could not relinquish uh, some of Britain's colonies during World War II. He, I believe he stated, and here I uh, paraphrase, the democracy is the worst system around until you actually look around and you see that no better system exists. So in that sense, democracy, however infirm, however imperfect, uh, is, the only, uh, is the only thing that I see right now that's uh, that can be a current and viable nemesis to uh, the dictatorships that uh, are propping out everywhere, uh, be there megalomaniacs, political parties, or military juntas. So we have to aggressively fight for the rights of this co the collective because we know that concentrated power in the deranged ones and their slavish devotees, uh, we know how it looks like and it ain't pretty. Really quickly back to my story, two years after my family to moved to Los Angeles, my, my parents moved us to a then predominantly African-American community of Fox Hills, Culver City, where I've seen young black motorists get pulled on Slauson Avenue like there, were no, like there was no tomorrow. My parents were held that this move to Fox Hills was not a good idea, but my parents valiantly issued the racist insinuations that were attended to that claim and moved there anyways. And I was proud to be one of the few white boys being bused with my fellow African-American friends to Westchester High School that is by LAX 
And at least in my mind, um, Westchester High School was a great integration story. So my mother used to take two buses to go to work. She always made sure she sat on the back of the bus. When we asked her why, she said, well, I wanna show the black people in the, in the back that I don't have a problem sitting right next to them. And I want to show the chicken shit white people in the front that I'm not afraid to sit down, to sit close to black people. So my parents inculcated in me a strong sense of justice and respect for all people. Uh, they did not just talk the talk, they walked the walk through their actions. So you ask me why I believe in one of the opening presentations, uh, we were um, led to um, answer the question, the interrogatory, why do we need to restore the promise of democracy? And as one person alluded to in the, uh, in the back room, I'm kind of at odds with the word restore because that kind of implies that democracy was somewhat intact before the recent events. Uh, and that, came, that premise, I, I suppose, can be debated. However, if you were to ask me why I need to defend democracy, uh, given the recent ongoing assaults against it, I answer rhetorically, with a mother that was the Jewish Rosa Parks of Fox Hills, how can I not defend democracy? Awesome, thank you, Ellie. That was awesome. All right, so I'm gonna do my story now. So I'm an American, and as an American, I learned about George Washington in elementary school. Did you know that George Washington could have become a king or dictator? The people loved him and wanted him to remain in power, but he chose to step down in order to establish the democratic tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. This is the tradition that Trump broke. I also learned about, the Ameri about America's grand experiment in representative democracy. Our democracy is young in historical terms, less than 250 years old. And right now, the world is in the midst of a global collapse of democracy. If we want to keep our democracy, we're going to have to fight for it. I also learned about our 16th president. Abraham Lincoln inspired me to become a lawyer. As a child, I wrote three papers on Abraham Lincoln on one field trip to the Los Angeles Superior Court. I could have sworn that I saw and heard the bu a bust, a statue on the grounds of the courthouse of Abraham Lincoln speak to me. Of course, I was only a child then, but I would become an attorney in no small part to my admiration for Abraham Lincoln. I studied law and international service at American University in Washington, D.C. I focused on constitutional law, and even wrote a book on foreign comparative constitutional law. As an attorney, I took an oath to defend the Constitution, and I believe that we must fight for democracy here at home and abroad. Our nation's practice of overthrowing democratically elected governments and supporting dictators has come back to haunt us. Democracy is collapsing worldwide because the United States, rather than supporting democracy, has overthrown democratic 
governments around the world. We cannot expect to keep our democracy here at home if we continue to undermine democracy abroad. We must keep the beacon of democracy lit. And, and we keep it lit not only to save American democracy, but to save democracy around the globe. So we need a pro-democracy movement in America, one capable of bringing tens of thousands of people into the streets. And to that end, I formed the Truth and Democracy Coalition. And I've been covering the threat to democracy almost exclusively because I also produce a podcast called Bible Study for Progressives, which is a political ideology podcast. And I also write, and I've been writing about democracy ever since the Miller Report came out. I did a large impeachment event in the city of Orange. Um, I think that was 2019, uh, Christmas Eve. And I did a successful press conference in Votercade here in Whittier on May 8th of this year as part of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Day of Action. Finally, like most Americans, I'm also a Christian. I'm a progressive Christian. I read the Bible in its historical context, and reading the Bible properly, one finds that it is about social justice, liberating the oppressed, lifting up the lowly, bringing down the powerful, and caring for the least of us. The Old Testament is about nation building and self-determination for the Jewish people. And the New Testament is a social movement for freedom and self-rule. At the same time as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey and then protested the corrupt leaders of Israel by overturning the money changers' tables, a regiment of Roman soldiers was entering on the other side of the city. Their parade of horses, chariots, and soldiers was meant to deter rebellion and to quell any revolt during the Passover celebrations. By leading a protest on the other side of the city, the people were claiming that they were the rightful rulers of Israel, not the emperor. The kings were not gods. They were not the legitimate rulers. Instead, a peasant, a representative of the people, was the rightful leader. The central political struggle in this world is between authoritarian governments and democratic forms of governments. We have had this problem with domination systems and the gap between the rich and the poor since ancient times. For most of world history, people have lived under the rule of tyrants. Democracy will not supply, survive unless we organize and fight for it. I have decided to commit my later years to this cause because I will not allow democracy to die without a fight. Okay, so what I like to do, I'm gonna, we're gonna send you into um, breakout rooms. So there's a couple, some things that we're gonna, that we can do with your stories. One, Indivisible has a soapbox that you can upload or 
do videos to and distribute on social media and to ind whatever Indivisible does with them. So take advantage of that. You can use your story to write a letter to the editor. Common Cause has a tool to help you write a letter. You can write an op-ed to your local newspaper or website. And it, it's really good for that because it's a personal story and often they're looking for personal stories. You can talk about anti-corruption and the For the People Act at your 4th of July uh, gatherings. And Indivisible has some instructions for that. Deadline democracy, this is a pre-event kind of, it starts tomorrow. You can use your story when you meet with your representative if you can. They're on recess. Yes, and then you can give a speech, lead a discussion at your church or at a community group. And also, you can host your own democracy story. You can, and we'll give you, or DFAB will give you the, the instructions, they'll provide you resources, they'll provide you with these slides. So you can do that. Also, you can call your senator. Here's the number, 188-453-3211. That will connect you directly to your senator, and then you call back and you get directly connected to your other senator, and you can leave a message. And then also you have the dfabcoalition.org slash LTE to help you write a letter to the editor. Thank you for coming. It's been great having you. And I hope that you got something out of this at the right. And if you click that next to the file, you hey, can Richard, leave the chat. Me, yes. Jordan, I had a I, question. Sure, go ahead. Uh, what if you're from the state of California where both of your senators voted in favor of S1? So the main thing here, one is that Diane Feinstein has been balking on the filibuster, and we may need to remove the filibuster. So you can, Diane oh. Feinstein still needs to be worked on, and they really do need your support. So calling them is still helpful. I understand the dilemma. And there are, and there are also groups out there who are organizing meetings during this recess. I think DFAB is doing that. They're, they're organizing meetings with representatives and their agents. All right, so thank you for coming. I love that you came. Go out there and fight for your democracy. democracy. Tell your story. Get out there for deadline democracy. And let's work together to fight for democracy. Thank you, everyone. This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production. Feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.